0: I'd like to speak to you this morning about, in fact, specifically the title of my message is Moving from Ugliness to Holiness. I was a little bit uh, chuckling when I kind of heard that uh, that title in my spirit. Uh, I didn't make it up. <laughs> I heard it in my spirit. I thought, okay, what might that look like? And along with that comes some scripture references. And then once I've got the thread, all I do is follow the thread and the whole message uh, flows out. And uh, I was just reminded... Uh, when um, Pharaoh in Egypt had a vision of uh, the seven fat cows and the seven ugly cows. And um, I don't know where that ties in with what I'm talking about right now. But, uh, but you know, many people got ugly cows in their lives. Uh, and I'm not talking about ugliness in terms of anything, uh, in terms of physically ugly or anything, but there's ugly areas in people's lives. Um, ugly mindsets, uh, ugly way of speaking. Uh, I know the Americans use that term, they say, don't be ugly, Is uh, in, you know, when people say unkind things, they say, don't be ugly, uh, and sometimes people are ugly in the way that they speak, and, uh, and people got ugly mindsets, and uh, we're going to confront some of that this morning, and uh, teach people and help people to kind of snap out of it. Everybody says, snap out of it, uh, you know, we can snap out of it, uh, and so God wants us to move from uh, ugliness to holiness, and I want to read you a couple of Verses of Scripture here, 2-3, uh, we're going to spend the rest of this morning just moving around that. We'll keep on referring back to it. But here it is in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation or at the coming of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts as in your ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Everybody say, you also be holy. It says, you also be holy in all your conduct or in all your lifestyle, uh, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Um, who is going to see the Lord without holy, holiness? No one. Bible says without which no one will see the Lord. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I find it difficult to skim over scriptures like that. It's like, what was that? What have we just read? People say, yeah, but, but I've said the prayer. And, uh, and it's good to say the prayer, and, and it's good to surrender our life to Jesus. That's the starting point of our walk with the Lord but then we need to move from ugliness to holiness, whatever that looks like in the life of each individual person. 1 um, Peter chapter 1, in the beginning chapter, beginning part of this chapter, Paul speak to, speaks to the, uh, to the believers that have been scattered throughout the whole region of what they called Asia Minor, which is basically present-day Turkey. Uh, Cappadocia, Pontius and various places and uh, he was talking to them about their salvation. They were having a little hard time because they were believers in the midst of heathen and pagan communities and uh, you know when we get born again we can no longer uh, participate in pagan practices, in heathen practices. Uh, God says come out from among them and be clean and when we come out people don't always like it. They say well what's so Better about you now that you can't no longer drink with us, uh, smoke dope with us, and, you know, run around the the streets with us and get up to trouble or do whatever. How come? You know, people don't always like that. People don't always understand. But God says, he says, I'm holy. And he says, therefore, you be holy. And interesting, uh, when Paul gets past speaking to them about their salvation, Uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. He speaks about the second coming uh, that is still to happen, second coming of Jesus Christ. He then flows on to speak to them about the lifestyle that God wants us to live now that we are born again. Uh, in fact, uh, many study Bibles, it is the heading, which is sometimes, you know, they have, you know, study Bibles have got headings in different parts of the text, and the translators just insert a heading to give us a, an understanding of what we are about to read. And many study Bibles introduce 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it is a call to holy living. You're now born again, he says. Uh, Make sure that you live a lifestyle that demonstrates that you now have a relationship with God. Don't just say you're born again, but live the born again life. Uh, That new lifestyle is different than the lifestyle that we live in our pre-salvation days. Everybody say pre-salvation. He spoke about, he says, uh, says, in your days of ignorance, he says, uh, when you pursued your former lusts. Um, And everything is different now. It says, you surrendered your life to Jesus. God now demands a different lifestyle from us. And then he flows on into it uh, in regards to what that might look like. And he tells them how to do that. Um, Verse 13, he says, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. By the way, the subtitle of this morning's message is that holiness begins in the mind. That's what we're discussing today. Holiness begins in the mind. And God's been speaking to us about our mind and about our thoughts since the beginning of the year, and it hasn't let up yet. So God's trying to get something across to us, uh, that our mind is probably more important than what people give it credit, uh, that the thoughts that are going on all the time, determine uh, whether we're going to live a holy lifestyle or not. And God's not wanting us to live a religious lifestyle, to do a spiritual, uh, as it were, to do a physical dress-up on the outside when nothing changes on the inside. Uh, God wants us to be changed on the inside in our thoughts um, and in the way that we operate and so forth. So he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. i uh, looking at different... Uh, translation, particularly modern translations that just explain this thing differently. And we'll look at some of those in, in just a little while. But uh, I like to go back to the uh, literal translations uh, of the scriptures, the King James Version, New King James Version, the American Standard, and to a certain extent NIV and so forth. And, and it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Well, what might that mean? Gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, It's like that's not an expression that we use today uh, anymore. But they did back then. So if we can find out what they did back then, then we can see exactly what Peter is trying to tell us here. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober uh, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of... Of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we are standing in grace right now. The grace and the favor of God is upon our lives right now, and we are already saved, but there is a power of salvation that is still future. Uh, and it speaks about the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning the second coming of Jesus, that there is a further grace to be released, uh, meaning that we will then be taken to heaven at that point. And, you know, the Bible speaks of the rapture of the church. uh, And uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to receive a new body. And some people say, praise God for a new body. Uh, (laughs) Hallelujah. And uh, But in the meantime, let's look after the body that we got. It's got to last us a long time. Um, God wants us to live a long life and a full life and a life of, you know, being fit and so forth. Uh, Anyway, some of us are excited about that. So it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Um, You see, our mind, our thoughts, and our thought processes have everything to do with whether we will live a holy life or not. It all begins in the mind. Gird up the loins of your mind is a figure of speech uh, drawn from the Middle Eastern practice at that particular time when they would gather up their long robes, they didn't have trousers back then. They had long, flowing robes um, that they would wear, and usually go right down to the to near enough to the ground. Um, they had uh, robes much like what you might see today, in, say uh, in in an Asian Muslim type environment, where you know the man wears is uh, almost looks like a nightie just about, uh, and uh, and then they would have. Uh, in the biblical days, they would then have mantles or robes that they would wear over the top of that. It was all kind of loose, flowing robes, and uh, and what they would do is if they just go around and socialize, that's how they would be dressed. But when they were about to travel somewhere, uh, or if they were about to run, or if they were about to do some work, they would gather up these loose ropes, so kind of tie them around, and then tuck them into their belt. Um, gird uh, means. Uh, gird up as a girdman's belt, uh, and that's what they would do. Uh, and uh, for us to understand that uh, they would tuck the loose end of their flowing robes into their belt, so their loose ends wouldn't hinder them in running, in working, wouldn't get caught somewhere. Uh, you know, they didn't have they, the highways in those days. They would have footpaths through who knows what, Uh, and if you don't tie that stuff up, you get caught in in blackberry bushes or who knows what. you know what I'm talking about. So when Paul says, rather when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, that's the picture that he had in mind. He says, don't let this thing loose flowing, uh, flow like right around. He says, you gather it all up and tuck it into your belt. And uh, we need to then establish what the loins are. And, of course, the Bible, when the Bible speaks of loins, it speaks about uh, the loins, about uh, uh, mainly the reproductive parts of human beings. Uh, And, of course, they will put belts around themselves um, and understanding that that the reproductive, uh, rather reproductive life originates from the loins. Uh, There's various references to loins throughout the Bible, Uh, We could look at some of those, we haven't got time for that this morning, but remembering that uh, reproductive life begins at the loins, if I can use that expression. So when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, not your physical loins, but the loins of your mind, what he's really saying is that the loins of your mind are the moment where your thoughts originate, the starting point of your thoughts don't have loose flowing thoughts. Let your mind wander into any old way. says, gather them up and put a tight rein on them. I've discovered over the years that uh, it is much easier to nip a thought in the bud just when it comes up. A wrong thought just, hmm. Then let that thought develop and let it Sit there and me meditate on it, and let this thing grow into a little monster in my life. It's called a stronghold where there's a a big fat lie that established itself in my mind, and then I'm trying to deal with the charlie thing. Happy you know what I'm talking about it's like it's much easier if you have a seed uh, and we've discussed this before, but God wants us to discuss it again that uh, uh, Vanessa and I had a a, a big a big oak tree in our backyard, and the first property that we bought. And you know these jolly acorns that fall down, and if you don't go after it and rake it all up, uh, next minute one of them establishes roots into the ground. And there's only a little, a little plant at the top with a couple of le- leaves on it, just tiny little leaves. But you try to yank that thing out, it's got a root that down there already that deep. And uh, thoughts, lies. Deceptions. If I nip them in the bud, it'll just like, and that's all it is. I just no, we don't, we don't go there. But if I meditate on this thing and sit there and let this thing get itself established and put roots into my mind and into my spirit, into my heart, so to speak, and and develop this whole concept, where there's another thought that comes along. How do you know that lies always attract lies. Um, and then it attra- attracts another lies. I mean, how does a how does a whole stronghold get built? You know, in the old days when they would have strongholds, uh, um, and they would typically have high and lofty positions so that they could defend that territory, and they would be able to shoot down. And uh, and uh, you know, we've talked before about if you ever were to travel in Europe along the Danube, and uh, they got these ships going up and down for tourists and what have you. And that, that every 500 meter kilometer, there is a, a castle or, or some, some stronghold up there, and they would have these things up there, and they would look down, and, and then they would shoot arrows down or shoot cannons down or what have you. And how, how did these strongholds get, get, get built? They built them a brick at a time, a stone at a time. How does a fat, big lie and deception establishes itself in the minds of people? It's just a, a thought at a time. And that thought will attract another thought, and the next minute you've got a great big fat lie, a great big deception established, and then it takes a bit of doing to, to rattle that thing to bits and to demolish it again, uh, brick by brick, stone by stone, beam by beam. Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 14 says, Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist. It's interesting, Uh, when Peter speaks about uh, girding up the loins of your mind, uh, belt belt it up, he says, don't let that thing free flow, uh, so to speak, you're going to get caught somewhere, in some thicket, in some mess, Uh, it's going to get in the way, you won't be able to run, Uh, you won't be able to work properly, he says, gird up the loins uh, of your mind. Uh, Then Paul here speaks to us about part of the armor of God, that uh, is the, what they call the belt of truth, um, and so the question then is, and I'm trying to go somewhere, and it's important that you follow me. Um, the question then is, uh, how do we uh, how do we tie up those loose thoughts that want to just originate, and deceptions and lies and thoughts that we ought not to think? I'm, you know that there are certain thoughts we ought not to think. There are certain words we ought not to speak. There are certain actions that we ought not to action. Um, and uh, and how do we do that? Well, we take the truth of God's word and we capture these thoughts and then we tie them up so they can no longer move. Uh, by the way, I think it's important for us to understand that you and I, we are not our mind. We have a mind, but I'm not my mind, you're not your mind. So, in other words, you think, well, I'm a mind and, and I'm just loose. Well, that's not true. You're a spirit and you have a mind. And by the way, you live inside a body. There is a hierarchy. That God has established of the three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body. It's been said that our the spirit is when we become born again, that's we become born again in our spirit. We get we get made brand new on the inside in, in in our spirit in the eternal part of us. Then we have a soul, it's mined up of our will, of our mind, and of our emotions. Um and uh and then we live inside of a body. And uh there is this hierarchy here when uh you know, if I can sort of use a visual expression, spirit, soul, and body. When God created Adam, he was in charge from his spirit. He ruled his mind, his will, and his emotions, and he most definitely ruled the body. When they lost eternal life by disobeying God and hooking up with the devil, the whole thing got flipped upside down. And we still got people today where their body's in charge. It tells them what to eat. It tells them what to do. Uh, their their mind, their their Operating their lives out of their emotions, and their spirit is trying to sitting there, trying to get get trying to do something, but it's kind of if they're not born again, it's just there's a dead spirit there that's not operational. Uh, and uh, and if they are born again and they're not strong spiritually, they they know what should be done, but uh, everybody else is in charge. So when we become born again and we get filled with the Spirit. God takes that arrangement and he flips it back up again. and says, I want you to rule your life out of your spirit. You tell your mind what to think and what not to think. You rule your emotions and, uh, and don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. And don't be an emotional mess, which many people are, because they don't know any different. And, uh, and then you you put your body under. Paul the Apostle says, he says, I put my body under. He says, every athlete makes his body his servant and tells it what to do and tells it what not to do. He says, I buffet my body. And so again, coming back to our mind, it says, how do you capture the thoughts, the crazy ones? Yeah. How many of you would admit this morning... That, that you get crazy thoughts occasionally. <laughs> oh, I tell you, the mind like this, where does that come from? Just a crazy thought. Nobody's exempt from getting crazy thoughts. But if I just nip it in the bud, you know, it's, it's not a problem, but if I begin to act on that crazy thought, then I get a crazy life. Then I say crazy things we can't stop. See, the devil bombards our mind with crazy thoughts. It's where do they come from? A lot of them come right from the pit of hell. It's when when Satan wiggled his way into the garden of Eden way back at creation and he came to Eve and uh, he kind of uh, just tried to muddle up her thoughts regarding what God said. Has God indeed said that you shall not eat uh, of any tree in the garden? You know, just sort of putting a spin on it, that's just all wrong. It is important that we have an accurate understanding of the Word of God so that devil will come muddy up our mind and confuse us in regards to what God said. Crazy thoughts. So we tie up every crazy thought that wants to be free flow like, like a wild horse or like a disobedient dog. Just wants to do its own thing. A couple of years ago, I was doing some work on a house up up the road, and uh, and and some of you know that that I got a dog. Now now, and I know that my daughter thinks it's her dog, but it, I, I, you know, she has him a couple of days, but he lives with us and us, and then I ring up and say, "How's my Rocky? Uh, I want to know how's my dog doing." And he's a very good dog, I tell you, he's a very obedient. In fact, he's the best dog in the whole wide world. I know it. I know it. And uh, there's a dog a few doors up the road, and he's running past. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to invite this dog in and put the two of them in the backyard? They can play together. Well, that was the wrong thing to do. That dog was just disobedient, had not been trained, not listening to me. In the end, I was glad to get rid of him again. Dog, get out of here. I don't need you here. And uh, sometimes thoughts are like that. They do- They don't obey. And, you know, one of the reasons why why thoughts don't obey people is because people don't know they have authority over their thoughts. They don't know that. They think they are their mind. And the second thing is they don't know. Uh, you see, you can't, you can't capture a lie with a lie. You can only capture a lie with the truth. And so that's why the Bible speaks about the belt of truth. That, uh, incidentally, the way that Paul described the Armor of God, using the picture of a Roman soldier, of having a, a helmet of salvation to protect our mind, having a breastplate of righteousness, which, by the way, we didn't earn; it was given to us. It speaks of the belt of truth, and it's been said that a Roman soldier, uh, when he put his belt on, he kept he kept his his his, uh, his uh, Breastplate of righteousness in place. It just didn't sort of move around. It all kept everything in place. See, when we got a good handle on truth, it keeps everything in the right order and everything in the right place. And, uh, so we must not be flippant when it comes to, uh, the word of God. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, and, and no, we must not be flippant. It's, it's good to have a good handle on the word of God and to have a constant, um, study program a constant reading program going so that we can get a good handle because the more i have a handle on the truth the less there's a chance for a lie to wiggle its way into my life and uh to end up making my life miserable down the track it's like people do crazy stuff it's like what crazy stuff i was just meeting with a friend of mine uh, Minister friend of mine in Australia, and he's telling me some stuff. It's like, What? That just boggles the mind. How does that happen? Even, you know, ministers get up to crazy things. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It starts with one crazy thought way, way back here that is left unchecked. That's how it starts. Everything begins in the mind. We used to be taught years ago, it's been said that the mind is the battleground. That's where the enemy wages warfare against us. Uh, that's where he drops his lies and his deceptions and his question marks over God's word, whether God's promises are really true. It all takes place in the mind. So it goes on to flow here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul's still speaking. He says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. He says, on the contrary, he says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here's that word, strongholds. He says, we demolish argument. What's a stronghold? It's an argument. Um, And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. Uh, and we make it obedient to Christ. We tuck it into the belt of truth, and if it's a thought of God, then it can express itself in its right setting and in the right path and so forth. But if it's not of God, we give it no room to wiggle. We give it no room to resurface and to run around and to be free flow, as is sometimes the case in people's minds. A stronghold is a construct of, loss, of lofty and proud ideas. Um, of philosophies which are contrary to God's word. A stronghold is a rebellious thought and a concept that is not submitted to Christ. It's like that dog of the neighbors that I told you before. It was not submitted to me, and I'm sure it wasn't submitted to the neighbor either. Um, because an obedient dog is an obedient dog. And, you know, people's thoughts are like disobedient dogs, just rebellious and not been trained um, and and don't know that there is a higher authority. A stronghold is enemy-occupied territory in people's minds that holds them back from surrendering their life to Christ. It holds them back from, from serving God and it holds them back from growing spiritually. One of the biggest frustrations of pastors worldwide is when people sit in the same place uh, year, month after month, year after year, and they don't progress they They're like the people in the wilderness Uh, when they came out of Egypt. They're born again. Yes, they're outside on this side of the Red Sea, but they haven't walked down into the promised land. They're still going around the same mountain, the same mountain and the same mountain, and just around and around and around. The Christian life is not meant to be a merry-go-around. It's meant to be a forward path to spiritual maturity. Enemy-occupied territory. If I embrace a lie of the devil, some deception, some crazy thought, and I let it sit there, it'll gather another crazy thought alongside it, and then you just haven't got a thought, you've got a concept. Uh, you've got a whole construct. Uh, and then what happens is that the devil wages warfare against me from within. See, the devil is from on the outside, he's trying to bombard our mind, and everything, but once he's got a stronghold on the inside, then he's waging warfare against me from within. The message translation takes the same verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he says, We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erect against the truth, the truth of God fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. And what Paul was really talking about was that uh, he's writing to the Corinthian church. A, they were born again, but there was all sorts of excesses going on. There's also, there's strife, there's quarreling, there's uh, sexual sins, there's immorality, there's quarreling, there's court cases. Christians fight and he does all sorts of stuff going on. And then not only that, but they began to criticize Paul. The very man who had established the church, the one who had as it were, planted the church and helped them to get off the ground, he had to move on again. And while he's away, there's other people that crept in, uh, Judaizers, uh, we call them, who began to teach them wrong stuff and vying for their affection. They said, oh, this Paul, he's not important. You know, he's been and gone. Forget about him. Uh, uh, but, of course, Paul was the father of the work. So now they 're criticizing Paul, and now they they 're kind of questioning his apostleship, questioning his authority in the local church that he had planted, and Paul from a distance, he writes him a letter, and he says, "Look, he says when we 're going to come he says uh, there's going to be some strongholds that are going to be demolished." so he was really speaking about the preaching of god 's word that confronts and attacks every stronghold uh, in people 's minds um, and uh, the lack of honor. That they showed towards him as the minister who actually had his legitimate uh, ministry there. The other guys were just just hirelings that had come in, um, and uh, and so so that's what happens. All loose thoughts, loose emotions, and loose impulses have to be tied into a into a life in a in a structure of a life that is controlled by Christ. And how we controlled by Christ, we become controlled by truth. We're no longer controlled by crazy thoughts. We're no longer controlled by loose emotions. We're no longer controlled by offenses, by fears, phobias. But we're controlled by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. So, in a general sense, when Paul talked about strongholds, He's uh, speaking about lies that the Corinthian church had bought into. Of course, Corinth was a a cultural center for paganism, temple prostitution. It's quite common for a man to say, I'm just going to go up to the temple to worship, and what he really was doing was visiting prostitutes. There's all, all sorts of stuff going on. And the Corinthian church is set right in the middle of that. That's why God at various times says, come out from among them and be you clean. And so it seems to me that the Corinthian church had never thoroughly been cleaned up. They were believers. They're now in the kingdom of God, but they're still operating according to the values of the old kingdom where Satan rules, the kingdom of darkness. Things that seem quite normal to the natural mind, but are not normal if we compare them against the Word of God. Quarreling, fighting, jostling for power and for position is all part of the old kingdom. And when Christians operate like that, even in a local church environment, even in amongst a small group, it's people that do that out of the old mindset. They've never been thoroughly cleaned up. That's why Paul teaches the word, to teach them that now we're in a new kingdom. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, We're ambassadors for Christ. We need to behave ourselves so that we are representing Christ to a dying world in the proper way. So he was speaking about concepts that they had brought into or brought with them out of the world. That had never been confronted, that had never been shown up to be faulty philosophies. And uh, so he says, so, you know, we're preaching. He says, and when we're going to come. He says, we're going to we're going to shoot down. We're going to demolish those strongholds. And the preaching of the word does exactly that. The preaching of the word confronts every high and lofty thought, every proud argument, every imagination. And we've said this before, but during the time of the preaching of the work going on, it's the battle of the ideas. There's God's idea, and then there's opinion of man, and intellectual lofty thoughts. What would that look like? Well, evolution would be one such lofty idea. It really explains God away. If all of this came about by an accident, then we don't need God. It's very convenient, really, when the humanists say, you guys are all religious. No, 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 no. The humanists are very religious. Humanism is their religion, and self is God. And all of these uh, high and lofty ideas that they've put into their writings and so forth, that's their Bible. And Paul says, with the preaching of the Word, we're going to demolish all of that. And when the truth of the Word goes forth, It confronts every lie and every deception and every mindset and every high and lofty thing that people in their minds hold to. And I don't know about you, but I'm real glad about that because when I got saved, I was filled with lofty and crazy ideas and concepts and just philosophies that just were not at all consistent with Christian living. So Paul is speaking in the general sense, but in the specific sense, when we get born again, Every stronghold in the mind has to be attacked by the preaching of the Word of God. When Vanessa and I got saved, we said, all right, this is it. we got to be in church on Sunday, come hell or high water, because we need the preaching of the Word to clean up our thinking. We need every lie confronted because we want to live a good life. We don't want to live a crazy life. We want to live a good life. And I remember that, uh um I said, uh, Fergus McIntyre made a statement once that just so impressed me, and I've always remembered it. He says, when he got saved and when he was in church, he says, i just like to sit in the front row, he says, catching the spirit of great men that we're ministering. And I thought, that's good. That's good because there's people that got up that so impressed me, and there was character traits and qualities in, in their life. I point to that and I, says, I want that. I'm going to receive some of that spirit. I want to be like this person. I I, I see a faithfulness here. I see a a loyalty. I see a passion for Christ. I want that. I don't want to be like a half-baked Christian that claims to be saved, yet still operates out of the faulty philosophy that he or she has brought with him out of the old kingdom. That's not what I want. So, we need to learn to preach the word of God to our crazy thoughts. Preach the word to our crazy thoughts. What happens on the large scale? Where Paul was going to go into the local church in Corinth, and then to deal to all of these uh, issues works on a on an individual level. Where if a crazy thought comes up, I'll capture it right there, and I says, No, you're not gonna, you're not gonna. Think yourself, in my mind, let me tell you what the word of the Lord says. And preach the word to ourselves. See, that's why it's important to know the word, because you can only overcome the lie with the truth of God's word. You can't overcome the lie with another lie. You can't overcome the lie by sheer willpower. It's not about willpower. It's the word of God over every lie. And there's like, a, you know, these high and lofty ideas See, if you, if you see the Word of God, that the Bible is some ancient book that no longer has any relevance, and you relegate it on a lower level than the high and lofty ideas that you carry around with yourself, there's not a great deal that's going to happen. Because in our minds, we have to elevate the Word of God above everything else. Above every lie, above every deception, above every cultural practice about every political idea, about every, every economic idea, about every social idea. Preach the word to yourself. Well, you might say, well, when's it ever going to stop, the crazy thoughts? It's never going to stop. if I'm speaking from experience, some people might have arrived. I haven't arrived. I get crazy thoughts quite a bit. But no, no, no. The word of the Lord says, and I just shoot it down. No, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to, no, Nah, devil, no, 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 that's, no, that's that thought. I cast that thought down in Jesus' name. I capture it with the truth of God's word. And if you do that successfully, every moment of every day, then ugliness is going to turn to holiness and craziness is going to turn to order because God wants to come in to bring order into our lives. But you can't have order in your life if you got crazy thoughts and you're acting on them all the time. A loose mind translates into a loose life. An uncontrolled, undisciplined uh, mental process will translate into an undisciplined kind of a life and that's just how it is the New Living Translation and we're still in First Peter chapter 1 verse 13 by the way <laughs> Peter said gird up the loins of your mind in the New Living Translation he says so think clearly and exercise self-control you know it's good to have modern translations but you know we've just lost something here in translation we're just, we're, just, we're just told to think clearly but we're not told how to think clearly How do I think clearly? I capture every crazy thought. I speak to confusion. I command it to go. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. We're not confused about things. The Word of God is very clear. In regards to how we ought to order our lives, in regards to how we are to spend our days, how, how we are to, to structure our, our social interaction with others, what our sexuality should look like, how, how to spend our money wisely, how, how we can get on as a family. The word of God is very clear. Just have to find out what it says and do what it says. It's been said that, uh, And make him build a build up a sort of a good environment for himself in half a lifetime. Family, money, business—you you name it—and in a moment of rage, destroy it all. What's rage? It's a feeling that's gone out of control. It's a thought that's been allowed to fester. Thoughts of anger, thoughts of rage. So he says, think clearly and exercise self-control. And then he says, look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed uh, to the world. In, the, in, a, in a Greek-English lexicon there, when it speaks about that thinking clearly and exercising self-control, the lexicon says, be in control of your thought processes and thus not be in danger of irrational thinking. Irrational thinking some irrational thinking going on sometimes. That uh, thoughts that that, that don't come from any particular logic uh, or from any uh, kind of truthful basis, just irrational. The second point that says to change to a state of control over your thought processes. To change to a state of control. So in other words, prior to that, thoughts were just out of control. It's like a train station. There's people coming and going. Thoughts going in and out all the time, and people are going. Like, oh, how do I stop all of that? Capture every thought. Speak to every thought and preach the gospel to it. Preach the gospel to your mind. I mean, physically, out aloud. Say, "No, we will not think that thought." Now nah, I cast down that thought. The devil comes and he tries to put some lie to my. Nah, nah, nah. The word of the Lord says. I mean, how did Jesus get rid of the devil in the wilderness when he came to tempt him? Uh, during his 40 days of fasting and praying, and, oh, Jesus, why don't you why don't you uh, cast yourself down, because the word of the Lord says that God's angels are going to bear you up, and he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Poof. Just shut the devil up right there. Did that three times, and with every other lie that the devil presented to him. You can only overcome the lie with the truth of the word. The last point there, it says, do no longer have crazy ideas. <laughs> to no longer have crazy ideas. Crazy ideas. Now, it's good for us to think creatively and to think outside the square, and, you know, to be kind of, you know, uh, to, think, to think progress. But, you know, to fantasize is a silly thing to do, to chase some illusion that's never going to happen. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, anyway. Praise God. Self-control begins in the mind by exercising control over our thoughts. If I, can, if I can capture every ugly thought and every unholy thought and nip it in the bud, then I can move to holy life like real easy. But while crazy thoughts are running free, what are crazy thoughts? Sometimes you see thoughts written over people's faces. To look at somebody, it's almost like they're comparing themselves. Their looks against my looks and their status in life against mine. That's a crazy thought. Don't do not do that. The Bible says it is unwise to compare yourself with other people. And as Pastor Vanessa pointed out, was it last week or the week before, she said that uh, what we tend to do is that many times we compare our people's best points against our worst points, and we will always come up losing and then walk away and feeling, why am I unhappy now? I've just compared myself with somebody. Don't compare yourself. Uh, you see, Christ is the image that we're aiming for. Christ is our model. We can look to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and be inspired by them and and, and want to be like them. It's like Paul... Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so there is an aspect there, but to just sit there and to logically make a deduction, compare ourselves in regards to how much money they have and I haven't got, not a wise idea. Not a wise idea. And so, you know, then uh, people just sometimes, you see like thoughts written all over the place, there's crazy thoughts going on. They capture that thought. It's like, you know, if we had the liberty to just walk up to someone and say, those thoughts you're thinking right now, are not right. Cast them down. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I tell you, there's stuff that we get away with in preaching that on a one on one we just wouldn't get away with. It's like, you know, preaching is the, the, scatter, the scatter gun approach. Like it just, wherever it hits and fits, that's where it hits and fits. But one on one, when you can't say, well, I was speaking to, to him, when we're actually speaking to just one, it's like, Pastor, that's not very nice. You, you're, you're accusing me now of a, it's not about accusing. You, it's just helping you to have a better life, helping you to have a uh, a better marriage, helping you to have a uh, a peaceful home, helping you to to put food on the table and clothes on your back and have a nice set of wheels to drive around, and helping you to step into God's economy um, and, and and so forth. Uh, that's what that's all about. First Timothy chapter one verse seven. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear, but He has given us the spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline uh, and self-control. I tell you the number of times. <laughs> I've said this before in other scriptures, but the number of times that I've confessed this scripture, that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. If there were any way to wear the scripture out and to delete it off the page of the book, it would be worn out and deleted because I confessed it and confessed it and gone over it and over it. Why? Because there's fearful thoughts going on. And I've confronted those thoughts and I'm still confronting them. Because it's like we never get to the stage where we're stagnant and we're comfortable in what I'm doing now. Suddenly God asks us to do something fresh and something new to stretch us out a little bit beyond where we've been in the past. So we we're always confronting fears. We we're always confronting apprehensive thoughts. Oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. And God's not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound and of a disciplined mind. And if confusion arises in my mind, I say, confusion, go from me in Jesus' name. For God is not the author of Confusion. But my God is a God of peace. I say, peace be established in my mind. Do you speak it out aloud? That's about the only way to get results. You don't just think one thought away with another thought. Uh, you speak against the thoughts. You, you physically speak. David, the king, he says, Oh, my soul, why are you cast down within me? In other words, why are you depressed now? Come on, soul. Pick yourself up. Hope in God. He's speaking to his soul. I mean, how cool is that? We need to learn to preach to the crazy thoughts. We need to learn to preach to our minds, to impress God's word over it, and that's actually part of meditation. We go over it and over it and over it. We eradicate every lie, every deception, every fearful thought, every apprehension, every phobia, every jealous thought, every crazy thought, and confront it and knock it out the way, and in place will be the truth of God's word. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I tell you, from the moment that Vanessa and I and a group of us decided that we was going to plant this church here 25 years ago, from that moment, it's like in my mind all hell broke loose. You wouldn't have it on the outside because, you know, it's like the outside, you walk around, you still smile, but there's, there's war going on in here, war. I'm having nightmares at night, fearful thoughts. But oh what if uh, what if and what if it's not gonna work out and how are you gonna feed your family and and what say you get up to preach and you don't know what to say and, and uh and what say what say and uh, this is a nightmare, this is preacher's nightmare of like when I remember when I was in Bible college and I said to the pastor then at the time, I cannot for the life of me fathom the pressure of having to come up with a With a word every Sunday, how do you do that? (laughs) He says, "Well, you don't just get up on Sunday in the morning like you start on Monday in the morning. By Sunday, something will be ready. So you got some more to feed the sheep and to encourage the lambs, and uh, you know to preach the word." And like uh, I was having nightmares about this. That one Sunday morning, I'd wake up and somehow I missed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't know what's happened. It was a nightmare. Now, I'm sure you don't get crazy nightmares like that, but, oh, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but he's given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I have the victory. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We preach the word to our mind. We preach the word to the devil. We preach the word and we tell the devil he's defeated that he's under our feet. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. The feelings are crazy. Every born, again, believer, has a spirit of power. If have power puts me in charge, remember before, talked about, that. my body's not in charge. Just... Give it what it needs, and hopefully no more. <laughs> Praise God! Have you know that uh, that it's okay? I'm st- st- developing this habit of having a little bit of chocolate in the evening, on bedtime. Just a little bit of chocolate. Now, I've been known to polish off one one whole bar of chocolate in one, in one sitting. Like uh, you know, if I do that once every once a year, it, it's not no problem. But how do you know if I start with a piece and then I get a whole, what's what's a whole, a whole roll and then it's half a thing and then then next minute I'm just, (laughs) you know, let me tell you how this has come about. Uh, I'm actually a very self-controlled individual, I really am, like uh, you know, occasionally when I go hunting or something, or go out into the bush or, or, or something, I, I need energy food and I'm thinking, chocolate is a good energy, energy food, so I get a bar of chocolate, I put it in a special place that nobody knows, except my kids. <laughs> and then every now and then, I, do, do I still have my bar of chocolate because I might go hunting next week? I mean, it, it hasn't happened in a couple of years, but I want to know that I'm prepared. Where's my energy food? Oh, somebody's destroyed the packaging. And when I look inside, there's two, three rolls already gone. And go, oh, it's already opened up. I might as well have a roll myself. And that's how it all begins. <laughs> uh, I'm sure these things don't happen in your house. But in our house, nothing is sacred, I tell you. <laughs> I'm going to buy myself a safe <laughs> with a special special combination on it. (laughs) So my chocolate lasts. For me, it used to be, not now, (laughs) it used to be. A bar of chocolate could last me a whole year, like I just don't touch it. But I've laid, I'm sort of, uh, it hasn't lasted that long. I'm thinking, what, it's already gone. So I'm uh, I'm just working on that chocolate demon right now. It's like, no, no, buddy, you're not going to have chocolate tonight. Then I start to make my own ice cream. Oh no, it's just a whole disaster. (laughs) I was being rude a number of years ago. This man confessed to me that every night he's up at midnight, one or two in the morning, having a bowl of ice cream every night. And, uh, (laughs) and of course, being undisciplined in one area will cause undiscipline in other areas, and it kind of showed on him. And I was saying something now. I said, what are these two bits hanging off your side? They're like, I was being very rude. But you know, I'm sort of starting to develop a couple of little bits around the side. Here, so I'm onto that chocolate demon now. I can tell you, I'm I'm onto it. Hallelujah. Uh, what demon are you confronting? Let me ask you. Is it the demon of anger? Is it the demon of jealousy? You look at other people and you just always jealous thoughts. What are you confronting? Is it just crazy thoughts about some some crazy life? But, you know, it's good to visualize, but it's not good to fantasize. Fantasy. People are always discouraged because they're chasing some illusion that'll just never happen. Certain things are just never going to happen. I mean, I'm 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 just never going to travel to to Mars or to to some planet. It's just never going to happen. So you know, that's just a crazy thought. But uh, sometimes people are like, why why are you meditating on that on that? I'm not going to ever do that. So what's the point in spending spending thinking power on that? Uh, you know, sometimes Vanessa and I, we are just, uh, sometimes we're like two talking heads. We talk a lot, but sometimes it's just downloading and so that we both know what we're up to and everything. And then we could be talking about two subjects at the same time and we're okay with that. We, we know what we're trying to do. It's just so much going on and, and so forth. So it's sometimes like two talking head and uh, talking heads as it were, and we're just uh, uh, downloading, and then sometimes, uh, you know, we say to each other, oh, what's the point in talking about, it's not even worth talking about that, it's like it's just wasting time, it's just wasting energy, wasting breath. <laughs> be, be circumspect. Be wise. Don't, don't, don't spend thinking power on something that's just never going to happen. What's the point of that? It's just going to occupy your mind that should be used for useful things. To dream about what God can do in our lives, and to dream about how how we can have a you know a better home, and how we can reach people and help them to get a control over their minds. You see, you see, uh, this is why substance abuse is such a horrible thing because it takes the brakes off, substance you know drugs, alcohol, a lot of these things. It takes the brakes off people's thoughts, and suddenly there's like you know there's a feeling that goes with that. That's like the feeling like everything's okay. It's not okay. That feeling is a lie. <laughs> oh, we're a little bit out there today, aren't we? <laughs> so every born-again believer has a spirit of power, a spirit of love. People say, I, I just cannot love that person. Well, you got a spirit of love. You just need to activate it. You just need to operate out of that rather than operate out of the flesh. Every believer has got a spirit of a calm and a well-balanced mind. Just relax. Don't stress. A spirit of discipline and self-control. We've got all the equipment that we need in order to get the job done. Proverbs says we prepare to wind down. Proverbs 25, verse 28. A man without self-control is as this defenseless it's a city with broken down walls. Again, if we don't understand ancient warfare and the way that those cities used to be walled to keep out the enemy, if we don't understand that, we don't know what that means. But walls were there to keep enemies out. And somebody that doesn't have self-control in their life has, has got uh, the enemy running in and out of their lives all the time and with no control. That's what that means. It's like it is defenseless. It's a city with broken down walls. There are certain walls that we have to build up. You know, if you can imagine yourself standing in the center of some place with 360, how many degrees are there, 360 degrees? Going like right around. You know, you could go in this direction and this direction. You know, there are certain paths that are already predetermined. We can go, but there are certain areas which just block block that path. We will never go down that path ever again. Never. There are certain thoughts that we will not think because they'll get us into trouble. There are certain uh, certain things that we do not allow to rise up: comparison, jealousy, uh, anger, and so forth. It just you know see we can take a weak area in our lives, and with the Word of God, make it a strong area. People say, well, I guess I'll always be struggling. Well, if you pour into that light, guess what? You will always be struggling in this area. You will always be struggling. You pour into that light, and that thing is always going to be like, uh, you know, it's always going to be there. But if you confront that area, you confront that demon in your life, and don't give it a chance to move. Don't give it a chance to wiggle. Just tell it, it is defeated. I don't necessarily mean a physical... literal demon, but I'm talking about some of these ugly sides to people's lives, some of those ugly areas that just, like you know they get upset and just a (sighs) out come the claws and everything the Bible says be kind develop kindness the Bible speaks in one of the qualities of the virtuous woman Proverbs chapter 21 says, in her tongue is the law of kindness. That'd be good scripture to confess. In my tongue is the law of kindness. We do not speak anger. We do not speak what have you. There's kindness there. And just go over it and over it and over it until the lie is eradicated and the truth of the word is fully established. Do you know, a Christianity without without self-control is useless. It's meaningless, and it'll be very short-lived. i was just reading here in the Book of Acts, chapter 24, where Paul is in prison, uh, and he's brought before Felix, who was the governor, the pro- procurator, what they used to call in those days, over the province of uh, of uh, Judea. He was sent out from Rome, from the emperor of Rome, to govern this particular area. Felix was a bad man, just a bad man. And Paul is sitting down uh, with him uh, because the man brought him out of prison and dialogued with him. And, of course, Paul says, I'm going to preach the gospel. That's uh, what we do. We get an opportunity. Here comes the gospel. And uh, because the guy didn't bring uh, Paul out just to hear the gospel, he brought him out and sort of sent him back and forth because he was hoping to get a bribe from him. Just a bad guy. But Paul preaches the gospel, and it says here, and then after some days in verse 24, when Felix came with his wife, Trusilla, who was, a, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and, and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, meaning Paul, as Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So what strikes me is that when Paul preaches the gospel, he speaks about righteousness, which is absolutely one of the components of the gospel. He speaks about a judgment to come, which is absolutely one of the components of the gospel. Because otherwise, you may be talking about being saved, meaning saved from what? If we don't know what we are saved from, then what does that mean? So he preaches righteousness, he preaches judgment, but he puts self-control right in the middle of that. You see, you have a Christianity without self-control, it's worth nothing. Felix was known for his immorality, his cruelty, and for his incompetence. He had three wives. He was just a disaster, that man. The historian uh, 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 Tacitus spoke of him in his writings, and he said this. He says, the savagery and the lust he exercised, uh, rather with savagery, and with lust he exercised the powers of the king with the disposition of a slave. Like Felix, Felix really had a mentality of a slave, he was incompetent, He no self-control, he's all over the place, this guy, but he had the powers of a king and he ruled with just cruelty and uh, and yet, uh, you know, like he had no law over him, so to speak. Uh, Pharaoh was a long way away and interesting that Paul would sit down with this guy and confront him and speaks about righteousness, which probably Felix would have quite liked. Sometimes people like the idea of a gift of righteousness, but they may not like the idea of self-control. Everybody says self-control. And, and the Christian children's church does say, what is self-control? And the answer is, it's controlling yourself. That's what that is. So, the Bible instructs us to control our thoughts, and it teaches us how to think, and it teaches us what to think. Notice here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we'll close very very shortly. Finally, my brothers and sisters, always think about what is true. Think about what is noble, right and pure. Think about what is lovely and worthy of respect. Think about, uh, he says, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about those kinds of things you know what? That cuts a lot of things out, of things not to think about. That cuts a lot of things out. So make a decision today that certain thoughts you will no longer think. That you'll start preaching the gospel to your mind. You'll start capturing every thought and tie it up with the truth of God's word and give it no, no room to wriggle. And if it takes weeks, But eventually you'll get the better of it. You see something, a a stronghold is demolished just like a beam at a time. You just keep on attacking it with the word of God until it all just crumbles in a heap. And there's many people here that could testify that had all sorts of strongholds in their minds, uh, all sorts of lies and concepts and philosophies that they were operating by. And bit by bit with the preaching of the word of God, as it happens uh, when we're in combined services, uh, in, in the connect group, when we sit down and we have teaching through some sort of curriculum, each time when we speak the word of the Lord to each other or when we're by ourselves and speak the word, preach the gospel to our mind ourselves, bit by bit, the strongholds come crashing down and when they're gone, oh, how good it feels. How good it feels to have a peaceful mind. How good it feels to have a peaceful home. How good, how good, how good it is. How good it is. It's well worth fighting. And ultimately my friend if you don't want to do it for yourself do it for your family and if you want to do it, don't want to do it for yourself don't want to do it for your family do it for God because Jesus purchased paid a terrible price on the cross to give us abundant life and if life is anything but abundant right now something is going to waste hallelujah